Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Toro. For more than a century with cutting-edge turf equipment and irrigation solutions, Toro has had your front nine covered and your back nine too. In fact, Toro's always had your back, period. Toro is as committed to your long-term success as tour pros are committed to their shot. That's down to top-notch customer support from Toro and its dedicated local distributors, both of whom are passionate about delivering turf equipment and irrigation solutions that solve real-world problems. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor today. Today, I'm excited about our latest edition of the Superintendent Series. I was lucky enough to be afforded a little time with Jeff Stone, the head golf course superintendent at the Ocean Course, this week's PGA Championship venue. So I talked to Jeff for a quick 30 minutes uh, last week on the lead-in. He's really excited. The weather's been great, and uh, it should be a really fun championship to watch with it being this May date. So we talk about the prep leading in, um, how the course has evolved since he's been there since 2003, and uh, a little bit about his past and uh, living in Charleston. So without further ado, here is Jeff Stone. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. assuming people are coming in from all over yeah yeah we've got guys coming in from like uh baltus sea pines um uh, briars creek local golf courses uh you know we've got we've kind of got them uh got guys coming in from uh florida so we're um, really looking forward to it we've got about 60 volunteers coming in to assist us on top of the uh guys that work here at the resort we got another four golf courses that we'll be pulling guys from for morning and evening uh, detail work and stuff like that. So all in all, we'll probably have about 115 guys on site. And how many, how many take care of the uh, ocean course usually? Year in and year out, uh, including myself, we'll probably range 13 to 17 guys, including me. How, um, how's the weather been? Weather's been fantastic. Uh, I won't be able to use it as an excuse. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, us farmers, we always complain about the weather, but the weather's been great. It's been, uh, we've had cool nights, low humidity during the day. Uh, I mean, it's been f- fantastic. The temperatures have been ranging, you know, for, you know, in the mid 60s to upper 70s, low 80s, but we've always had a good constant breeze. So, I mean, it's, it's been perfect. What uh? What's the resort do in terms of does has play tapered off or are you guys shut down now a week out? How how does that look with you know in terms of getting the you know as you as you get closer to the championship? How does you know play on the course uh, vary? Yeah, well, basically um, from about gosh, I would say about March on, we limited play. Uh, at the golf course, we shut the golf course down at 1 p.m. Monday through Thursday, uh, really limited play in the afternoons to give the golf course a break. 
all the way up until we shut the golf course down completely, which, which was uh, a week ago last Friday. So basically May 1st, we shut the golf course down completely and we've had the golf course to ourselves to get it ready for the tournament. How nice is that? That's great. That's fantastic. I mean, you know, without that, that extra time, it's pretty, it's pretty challenging to get it ready. And, and the resort has been really mindful of uh, what they want to produce and what they want to show the world and, you know, really have the best condition golf course that we can for the tournament. What, so what are you guys doing in those, you know, the month lead up? I know, obviously, you know, there's, there's, limited amount of stuff that you can do that has like an impact because there's almost like a, a lag behind you. You know, you do this and then that shows up a couple months later, all that work, but what kind of, you know, is it, is it mostly detail work? What was that look like with your guys, you know, these two weeks leading in? Two weeks leading in is basically the golf course. You know, you've already got the golf course, pretty much the foundation where you want it. And now it's just repetition, 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 uh, going through the detail work, you know, looking at the, you know, the waste areas or the sandy areas, um, looking at, you know, some areas that need improvement as far as we might have had a little bit of wear, getting those areas healed up. And it's just going to be repetition. Uh, That's really about it as far as getting it ready for the tournament. And it's just managing, managing the greens and the playing surfaces daily, really walking you know, walking every square inch of the golf course, making sure it's where we want it in preparation for the tournament. That's uh, so with uh, obviously everybody remembers 2012, obviously the weather, you know, it, it was, it was an interesting week of weather with between the rain, then you had the one windy day and then you had the, you know, two of the calmest days out there. Um, how would you, how do, you know, being out there since 2003, right? Right, right. Um, how how would you say that conditions generally are different in May versus August? I think we're in much better shape tournament-wise. I, I think May is a great time to have the tournament because of the weather, you know, and you still have some of your overseeding hanging, you know, holding in there. You have some more options that you don't really have in August. August is a pretty tough time to, to host a major. I mean, it's you know, it's, it gets, the temperatures get really hot. You're dealing with afternoon thunderstorms, you know, 80% of the times, you know, May, the weather's a little bit more, it's clear. You have fronts going through, you know, in August, you're not going to get a cool front coming through in May. You have the potential of getting cool fronts coming through and getting different wind directions where August, it's going to be pretty much a Southwest wind every day, you know, Mm -hmm. but in May, you got the opportunity to have east, northeast winds, southeast winds. So it can be pretty unpredictable. So I really like having the tournament in May much better than I do in August. Yeah, yeah. I think the variable winds is such a dynamic factor out there because, you know, the golf course is is just so much different if the wind blows a different way. So hopefully we'll get a couple different winds out there next week. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, you know, Stephen, the golf professional and I, we were – talking about that yesterday it's like you know may really this past may it's been as windy as you know consistently windy as we can recall and it's been a constant you know 12 to 15 mile an hour wind and it's been shifting southwest northeast and it's it's been really good so uh we're kind of hoping the same thing that you know 
holds true for the next two weeks. And, you know, looking at the, the forecast for the next few days, I, you know, it's calling for a, a high in the 60s, I believe, here on Thursday. So, you know, the, the weather's really going to be unpredictable, which I think is going to leave, leave, you know, lead to having, um, you know, keeping those golf pros, you know, guessing because they're not going to hopefully not be staring at this, the golf course with the same wind, wind direction for four days and make them think about it a little bit. Yeah, you know, we might see a little bit more golf played in practice rounds. You know, these guys notoriously have cut down to, you know, basically playing nine holes each day of practice rounds. And if if you want to see the golf course in different winds, you get, you know, th- those holes play so much, so drastically different when the wind's blowing, you know, northeast versus southwest. Right, right. We had one of the tour guys in last week and, and he had a, uh, a, a northeast wind, which, you know, you had nine holes playing downwind and, you know, and the golf course plays a little bit easier, you know, with that, with that wind direction. He came in the next day and he's like, wow, this is, uh, this is, you know, the wind changed on him. You know, those, there's a stretch of holes that now we're into the wind and it was a totally different golf course. And that middle stretch of holes, six through 13, those are some pretty tough holes. And if you're having to, to, to beat balls into the wind through that stretch, it can be tough. And, um, so that, you know, we're, we're really hoping that's going to be the case where those, those winds are going to change on them through the week during the tournament. Yeah. You know, it gives you, if, when it's that Southwest wind, it gives you right. That's the Southwest wind when those holes play into it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's right. like the, the start is like a, it, it kind of eases you in on the start. And then you got, you got six through 14 or 13 are just a bear it's just like it's going it's like going through uh 10 rounds with a heavyweight boxer right right you know so you look at it i mean you're like you say your first three rounds those holes you know one through one through four i mean four is a pretty challenging par four but you know those those holes being into the wind but you get into that middle stretch those middle rounds and you take those body blows you know from six through 13 you know, you just you, you want to see how the guys when they get to fourteen, they got a few, you know, some coming home downwind. You know, how many body blows they take and how beat up are they after that that stretch of holes? You know, so it, that kind of makes those holes play a little bit different. Everything I've read about the ocean course, heard, you know, it talks about how it's and obviously with the setting right on the ocean, it's one of the the golf courses that moves the most of any golf course in America because the wind blows sand and, you know, just things evolve because of just the the natural setting of the golf course. You've been there for almost 20 years now. How's the golf? How's the golf course evolved? You know, I was sitting there thinking about that this morning on the way into work. I was like, wow, I've I've uh. I've had the ocean course, uh, been with the ocean course for two thirds of its life. So it's, how's it evolved? It's evolved. It, it started evolving day one, you know, even during the Ryder cup, because the sand constantly moves, constantly shifts. You get dunes started, you get areas where, you know, sand blows up and creates dunes. And we, you know, we kind of go in and try to work on that. So it's, it, it does evolve, but the, it evolves around the edges. So that, you know, that's kind of what we see happening out here. So it's, a, it's always, it's always on the move and we just try to hang on and keep up with it. That's uh, it, in terms of the changes, I know Scott Sherman and has been working with your team there. Um, how do you anticipate you, you've got some new tee boxes and, and from what I understand, some new, you know, spectator patterns so that you can use some back tees. How do you, how do you see 
the you know setup flexibility being you know uh, different from 2012 this year? Well, we added a little bit of yardage on holes number six and number 18. And basically on holes number 12, we were unable to use the back tees because of patron, you know, where the, the, the gallery was going. So we, uh, we as a team looked at moving those tees to the uh, north side of number 11 green or the, you know, to the right of 11 green as you stare at it. So it, it plays, you know, they will, he'll be able to use utilize that hole, the yardage on hole number 12. So we lengthened it a little bit on a couple of holes. And one hole, we kind of left the yardage the same and just repositioned the tee. So, you know, as far as wholesale changes, really didn't change much other than just adding a little bit of yardage on six and eight. Is that why they had uh, 12 play as a short par four during 2012? No, I think that Kerry was, um, Kerry was looking at doing, uh, you know, playing, you know, a, a short par four on a, couple hole number 12 was an option but we played number three as the drivable par four mm-hmm. but number 12 was kind of a backup plan just in case you had the wind direction yeah yeah that that makes sense they go yeah. in different directions um that's yeah. uh how did you end up at the ocean course what were where, where were you at before uh 2003 i got strong-armed and coming down <laughs> yeah, you got you got strong arms to working on the working on the Atlantic Ocean every day. Yeah. Oh no, I got I got I, now I was down at Turtle Point, and and honestly, the ocean course has always been a dream job of mine, and it's been something that you know it's a it's a golf course that I would think any golf course superintendent would want to you know be a part of, and but I was I was a golf course superintendent at at Turtle Point. And the opportunity arose in, in 2003, and I was fortunate enough to be given the job to come here. And it's been a uh, it's been a pleasure ever since. And it's like I've told some other guys, I, it's I've taken from Kiowa much more than you know I've given Kiowa. I mean, it's it's been a it's been a true um, enjoyment to work here. How long were you at uh, Turtle Point before you moved over? I was at Turtle Point. Well, I, I got on the island in 1990. Um, and I was an assistant at Cougar Point, became the superintendent there at Cougar Point in uh, 92. And then I was moved to Turtle Point in 93 and stayed at Turtle Point from 93 to 03. And then I uh, was uh, moved over to uh, Ocean Course in 03. So I've been here 30, 30 You got years. down there right after Hugo. That's correct. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was like that like when you got to Tur- uh, Cougar Point? Had you know had a lot of the cleanup been done, or were you still amidst the cleanup? What you know, in how often did you visit down the road at the at the Ocean Course? Well, I was I was in a I was in an intern in 1989. so I was here prior to Hugo. Went finished up and graduated in in 1990, and I came back. I mean. Ultimately, the island was a completely different island when I got got back. I mean, in 89, there was tall pines over the whole island, and it was pretty encased in pines and oaks. When I came back, well, uh, there's no more pines anymore. All the pines were pretty much decimated. To about, it probably lost 90% of the pines. And then, you know, I came down here quite often when Pete was building the golf course. And, you know, uh, it was basically a, a sandbar with sand dunes on it, and they started uh, putting some grass down and shaping dunes out and, and grassing the, the center lines. And I told George Fry, who was then the director of golf maintenance, I said, but, you know, you're my hero if you could grass this thing. And because the amount of sand blowing everywhere, it was a, uh, 
it was a true challenge, but they did get it grown in. And I was fortunate to be a part of that process coming down and working with George and their team. And, uh, you know, so I really have been around since the golf course came into existence. Now for a quick word from our sponsor. Two things tour pros hate, leaking oil down the stretch and their caddy having to quiet spectators. Golf course maintenance pros are the same, except they worry about literally leaking hydraulic oil and waking up the neighbors with early morning mowing routines. Toro's new Greensmaster E Triflex Series Riding Greens Mower solve both problems. Engine generator model is amazingly quiet in operation while the lithium-ion battery model is virtually silent. Both E-Triflex models carry no hydraulic fluid on board using all electric components for traction, steering, lift, and cutting. This means not only are potential leaks a thing of the past, but noise complaints are too. Follow at Toro Golf on Twitter and reach out to your local Toro distributor to schedule a demo. Now back to Jeff Stone. Yeah, you, you were part of this team that obviously you had a you had a hard deadline. You had the the Ryder Cup in '91 that you had the course had to be ready. You know, when you look back, do you realize like how much pressure was under that growing? Yeah, you know, and and it's one of those things that you you you, you better not dwell on the pressure because it'll consume you. You just you have to go out and you have to do your best every day and. And then just live with that. And like I told George, I said, you know, it's it's amazing you guys did what you did and and growing that thing in. I'm I'm glad at the time I was only only 24, and and sometimes ignorance is bliss. So I I was uh I I, I, I had no pressure. He had all the pressure, and I got to watch him pull his hair out. With the Ocean Course being obviously a resort, you get a lot of one time players, first time players. I think you maintain and obviously the way it's evolved it, it it looks different than it did originally would your approach to maintenance and obviously you know i was there in january the conditioning was absolutely phenomenal but i'm interested in to hear do you think the maintenance and and the you know presentation would be different if it was say a private club that did ten thousand rounds a year instead of a highly trafficked resort you know that's a that's a good question and it, and it really you know we you know, I can only, you know, answer that as far as, you know, looking at it from, you know, as a resort bucket list kind of thing. And, and you know, we really maintain the golf course to a very high standard. And, you know, of course, if you limit play on any golf course, I think the, the conditioning is going to be better just because of less wear and tear on it. But, I, you know, I, I don't see, you know, being a private golf course that the conditioning would be any different than what you see today. Mm-hmm. You guys uh, converted from you were you were part of the you you were the head superintendent when you guys converted from Bermuda grass to Pass Palum. Um, can you talk about that process, the decision to go to Pass Palum, and I believe that you guys didn't do it without ever closing for renovation, correct? No, we did close, um, and it's kind of funny because when when I came down here in '03, we were in a process. The, the greens were really struggling, and you know, Pete had said, Hey, we're going to, we want to grass them with past Ballum. Well, I'll be quite honest with you. I'd never heard of past Ballum and went and looked at some, uh, where Pete said that we were going to get this past Ballum from, went to the, the sod farm. And honestly, I walked out on this sod farm and the grower says, well, the past Ballum's right over there. And it was like, I was walking out into the middle of a, a field of clumps of grass. It looked like the lunar surface. I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to plant. And the Pete's like, yep. We're planting that grass everywhere. So we, we put the past ballum in and really, 
the decision was because of our water quality. And Pete was, you know, had used some past Ballum down in a couple other golf courses and was, you know, really was uh, strong on it. And we put it in and the grow in process was pretty much the same as what we did with Bermuda grass. And we planted it July 1st and August 18th. We opened the golf course up for play. And in November of that year, we had the World Cup and we haven't looked back since. Mm-hmm. How's the, how did it change the way the golf course played uh, when you guys switched to that grass? You know, past Spallum is a little bit, the texture is different, of course, than what you're going to find ultra dwarfs of Bermuda. The ball sits up a lot better on the past Spallum, on your tees, your fairways, your greens. The greens you are a little bit different managing the greens. Ultra dwarf Bermuda grasses are a little bit finer and they're honestly, they're easier to make quicker where past Spallum, you got to put a little bit more uh, effort into it and just the knowledge of the grass. So, you know, you want to manage these succulents in past Spallum to, to get the same kind of green speeds that you get on ultra dwarf. So, you know, with, with that being said, it's, you know, the past Spallum around your approaches and stuff, you can mow at a lot lower than what you can mow regular 419. Um, and you can mow it to nothing. And it's one of the funny things is out here at this golf course, where we planted past Ballum on the greens, our greens are actually growing in size. The guys are starting to mow outside of sprinkler heads and stuff. We have to keep bringing them in. So that, you know, it's kind of testament to that grass, how durable it is. That's interesting. So say you wanted to change with it being rough and fairway, say you wanted to change a, a fairway line for, for the PGA and you you bring a fairway line in when you go back to resort play and say you want to bring that fairway line out, is it as simple as just mowing it back down? Pretty much, pretty much. You'll, you'll take a little bit of time and you'll, um, you know, you'll just gradually bring those heights back down to wherever you want those fairway lines to go back. And, you know, the, it, it's going to be, it's, it's a pretty easy transition from, you know, the fairway lines that you have for a, a major championship back over to resort. So it's, um, we've got past Ballum. We kind of have a, a, a mutual fund of grass out here in the fairways and roughs. We have some past Ballum and 419 where, you know, it's, it, it's easy to make those changes like that. What, uh, did you guys make any fairway line adjustments for the championship? We did. We tweaked a few fairway lines, moving them closer to, uh, the Sandy areas, uh, tighten those areas up and created some more rough in some areas. So yeah, we, we did tweak some fairway lines. With with the with the changes that you guys made, uh, obviously the new tees, everything, a new date. Is there anything that you're excited to watch? A particular hole, particular. You know, we talked a little bit about the stretch of holes from six to thirteen, but is there a particular thing that you're uh, really eager to see the pros play and how the tournament works around something? You know, the thing that I'm most excited about is that the timing of when the tournament is. And the, and the timing of it being in May kind of reminds me of a lot like when we had the 91 Ryder Cup in, in September, that, that time of year, because you, you have that, the chance of variable winds, a good wind. So, you know, as far as watching a particular hole, I, I really don't have a particular hole. I think all the holes are going to be fantastic because of the opportunity of the wind directions and the changes and stuff like that. So. I'm I'm really excited to see how the t- the golf course the golf course plays and you know what kind of tournament we're going to have. 
Could you uh, talk a little bit about your experience working with Pete Dye and what that was like as as a superintendent? And uh, you know, just uh, if you have any great stories about about your time with him, uh, I'd love to hear them. You know, Pete, he was always fantastic to work with, and it was I, I was always amazed. You know, I'd go pick up Pete from the executive airport here on Johns Island at eight o'clock in the morning, and we would get to the golf course at you know eight thirty. And Pete was on the go until dark. He he was twice my age, almost twice my age, and he was pretty much wearing me out. And, you know, just getting getting Pete walking the golf course, you know, just hearing what he was thinking as far as, you know, how he wanted a particular hole or an area shaped out, you know, you know, that'll play, you know, that'll play one way for, you know, the the high handicapper. And then how it's going to play for the tour guy. And it was always interesting to listen, you know, how he would, you know, even if it was just cutting, you know, grass, you know, changing the heights of turf in certain areas. So, you know, it was always fun to work with Pete. You know, I remember we were shaping out number eight green and had a Smith go and, and Pete, you know, get off and told me, get off that Smith go and, you know, watching him just get out there and shape the green and, you know, how he would, you know, work the, work the ground. I mean, he was a he was a man's man. I mean, he was one of the guys that he was just one of the guys. You know, he would jump in and start doing the things. You know, you know, shaping it out himself and kind of working with you on what he envisioned. So you, he was he was a true ambassador to golf. You know, he would be the guy that at five o'clock in the afternoon when you're kind of winding down, he's he says I'm going for a walk, and he would come up and you know the people be playing golf, and he would walk up out of the dune on hole number eleven and. You know, here's here's Pete Dye coming up talking to, you know, these guys that are there's a bucket list golf course and here comes the architect walking out of the dune. So it was always amazing to watch him interact with golfers and how, you know, you know, how open he was just to going to talk to people and, and talking about the golf course. And he just truly loved the game of golf and it was it was fun to be around. Mm-hmm. Obviously to work until he did you have to be really love what you do. And I think that's the thing with golf architects. I feel like they never retire because, you know, the, it doesn't feel like a job ever. I don't think it ever was a job for Pete. And it was just, he truly loved it. And, you know, just, you know, being around somebody that enjoys what they do that much is infectious to everybody around them. So it was always, you know, he was one of those guys that just picked everybody up and it was fun to be around. Any any good stories in particular, like wildlife encounters, or you know, any anything that uh, that jumps to mind of uh, what do you, you know something you think back and, and remember about Pete? I I wished I could find it, but I recall that Pete was walking into a meeting, and I took a picture, and Pete had a pet raccoon, and I remember, <laughs> and this raccoon, he's walking into this meeting, and this raccoon, he stopped there, and his ra- baby raccoon was trying to climb up his pant legs. <laughs> it's like, you know, only Pete. But, I mean, Pete was, gosh, there's, you know, stories about Pete. It's just, Pete was just Pete. I mean, he was always out, you know, out and about and just, you know, he was always in the dirt. And the, you, I think the biggest thing about Pete, Pete's set of plans were drawn in the dirt. And once the wind blew, those set of plans were gone forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you had to carry a notebook around, right? That's right. That's right. Take a yeah, because we didn't have a we didn't have cell phones with cameras back then. So. That's yeah. Drawing stuff in the sand. Q is not the best place for that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was there was uh, there was quite a few pictures drawn in the sand out here. Uh-huh. As I'm sure a lot of his places he's been. So do you, uh, you know, being down there, you've been there forever. Do you, you obviously you live off the island, right? Yeah, they haven't given me a home on the island, so I have to live off the island. <laughs> when, when are they going to give you that home? Uh, never. <laughs> 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 no, it's uh, I, I, I honestly, I, I don't think I could live at work. I spent enough time out here, but no, I do. I live about. 30 minutes off the island and it's uh it's always i mean i i get to come to this golf course and i see the sunrise every morning i mean it's i'm so i'm just a fortunate person to be able to do what i do and man it's a it's uh don't tell anybody but it's a it's a pretty uh it's a pretty special job has it ever snowed out there i was wondering about that i was down there in january it was really cold but a couple days but i was wondering if it ever snowed out there it, it has well i'm trying to remember there's a few couple years ago we've had there was probably about six inches of snow on the ground um, on the golf course out here. We've had it where there's been two inches of ice all over everything. So uh, sometimes we, we we get hit with some uh, winter weather like that. But uh, it, uh, this old this old golf course it comes through pretty good afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean that has to be. I remember this year there was some snow down in South Carolina, and seeing the pictures of the golf courses was just incredible. Like you see it on the those uh, on the mossy oaks, and it's it's just like well, it's uh, it's a crazy uh, crazy sight. So I, you know, got a last question before we let you go. We know it's a busy week, but. What are your uh, for people going down to Charleston? You being a, a local down there, what are what are your food best food recommendations? You know, for you know, out off the island, you know, in town, where where should people stop? Best food recommendations. We got some really good Mexican restaurants um, downtown. You've got Hall Steakhouse. They got great steaks downtown. But I'm going to tell you. <laughs> The best steak I've had yet is here at the uh, the Ocean Room at Kiowa. They they by far have the best steaks in in, in Charleston. So uh, I'm going to recommend highly recommend Kiowa Golf Resort just because they got the best chefs in the area. And uh, you know, as far as that, and uh, I, I don't leave the island to go eat because the food's so good here. Look at that company man. He's trying. I see you're trying to make the play for the house. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you sell enough steaks, they might give you one. <laughs> uh, I've got my own cows. I'll go butcher them. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, Jeff, uh, good luck next week. Can't wait to watch the uh, the championship. And, uh, you know, really excited to see the golf course uh, in May. And uh, hopefully we get a little bit of uh, a little variable we- weather, you know, a little bit different each day. That's what we'll be rooting for. And uh, if we get a cool Thursday, that'll probably be a good sign, right? That, that sure will. Make sure you stick your head into Stone Village and say hello. Yeah, thanks so much, Jeff. Alrighty, thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Friday Podcast and our Superintendent Series. Big thanks to Toro for making that possible. Um, they are a great partner. This episode was edited by Meg Atkins and Garrett Morrison. And a quick reminder, check out our pro shop. It's a major championship week. We're going to be pumping out content. Our newsletter is going out daily. That's free. Sign up on our website. Uh, You also get to the pro shop via the website. So go to the website, sign up for the newsletter, check out the pro shop. If you need a new hat, 
uh, new polo. We've got those and uh, all kinds of other stuff in the pro shop. So uh, thanks again for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this PGA Championship. Thank you.